0: Hi, I'm Winter Breanne. You may have heard me on Cricket Conversations before, being interviewed by Jaleesa Arce about how I helped organize the National School Walkouts where we saw 2.7 million students walk out of schools in solidarity with gun violence victims across the nation. I am also a member of Women's March Youth and help organize my people my age around voting. I just joined the Crooked Media family, and I am now hosting my first ever Crooked Conversation. I talked to Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood. I wanted to talk to her because it's imperative that young people are having intergenerational conversations surrounding moving building to make sure that we are able to build the future we want to see for ourselves. We talked about the work that they are doing, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination, and her own upbringing in a political and activist family, and how that influenced her. Hope you enjoy this episode and you'll be able to catch me hosting more cricket Conversations soon. So, it's my first ever Crooked Conversation. My name is Winter Breanne, for those who don't know me. And I am here very, very excited with Mrs. Richards to do a cricket Conversation. And so, let me call you Cecile or Miss Richards.
1: No, please call me Cecile. Everyone okay. else does. Yeah, <laughs> But it's nice to meet you, Winter.
0: Thank you. Welcome to New York. I'm very excited to <laughs> meet you. So, Ms. Cecil is the former president of Planned Parenthood till this year. And she also was served as the deputy chief of staff for Leader Pelosi. That's right. That's amazing. And then also, she just launched a book called Make Trouble. Right. Exactly. Very exciting. And so, to dive right in, I think one question that you've probably gotten a lot recently is, why now? Why after 12 years are we stepping down from Planned Parenthood? And I did watch an interview where you mentioned that you're comfortable with your stepping down because there is a new generation of leaders who you feel are more than prepared to take your place. And I was wondering, with the things going on right now with the Supreme Court justice and all of that, right? why at this moment yeah. do you not think that maybe your leadership is needed a little longer?
1: Well, um, of course— this new, I mean, we no one knew, of course, that um, we would have this Supreme Court vacancy. And I will say, and I'm really glad you mentioned it just because this is the fight of our lifetime. I mean, over the Supreme Court nominee, uh, and I'm going to be, I am already working with a lot of folks around the country to educate people about how dangerous it is and would be to have him on the court. So I'm still in the fight for sure. But I did leave Planned Parenthood after 12 years because I think, you know, one, it's an amazing job. It's an amazing organization that serves really one in five women in this country come to Planned Parenthood, a ton of young women, a ton of young people, a ton of LGBTQ folks who are looking for non-judgmental health care. But I think it's important, too, when you have these big positions and big responsibility to make room for someone else. And the organization has never been stronger in terms of the supporter base um, and the activist base. And so I'm excited that they're going to choose somebody new who's going to do amazing things.
0: I'm excited to see who that person is as well. Me too. (laughs) With Justice Kennedy stepping down and DT's new nomination for the position, what does that mean for the standing of the court? And what effects do you think we'll see most immediately, especially with Roe v. Wade and women's reproductive health care and rights?
1: Well, that's absolutely the issue that I think is most on people's minds because we know there are so many cases that are kind of in the pipeline to go to the Supreme Court. Cases that would basically undermine the whole the whole um, tenets of Roe, which is that p- pregnant people should be able to make their own decisions about their pregnancy, um, not government and politicians. And because Judge Kavanaugh has, you know been pretty clear about where he stands on these issues. And also, uh, the current president... um, Has been very clear about who he's going to nominate. He said, I mean, I think this is something people need to remember. He said, I am only going to nominate judges who would overturn Roe versus Wade. The most political um, kind of attitude towards the judiciary, even though this has been a right women have had for more than 40 years in America. And that's why people are are concerned is that it has always in these last few years, especially now that, um, you know, the president already got one nominee on the court. It really hangs within one one vote, and I think the thing that's really upsetting, Winter, and you know, Planned Parenthood. We work all over the country, in every, including my home state of Texas, where it's really hard to get affordable health care. Really, what this would mean um, is that in many, many states in the country, it would probably become impossible for people to get an, a safe and legal abortion. And I try to remind people, look, abortion was around before it was legal. It's just that women died. <laughs> and it and, was dangerous. Yes, right. And, and yeah. we just can't, we cannot go back to those days. We
0: we can't go back. And so with the Supreme Court nomination, I know a lot of people, I mean, even myself, I thought about what can we do mm-hmm. and what to do next. I know I was reading um, a study by the Center for Repro, and they were saying that if Roe gets overturned, There's 22 states where either it will automatically become illegal or in those parts of those um, states would it would be almost illegal because of just their standing governor and the politicians and their views within that system. But what can we do? As
1: yeah yeah I mean I think it's really important not only I mean there are obviously some states where the senators vote is particularly important um, and I know that a lot of people are focused on those senators in Alaska and Maine and Indiana other places but I think it's important that folks everywhere just raise a total ruckus about this in fact I'm going out to your home hometown of LA um, in a couple of weeks because we're going to be doing a big rally out there. I think it's important because this is a right and this is a decision. Who goes on the Supreme Court is going to affect everybody in the country. So this is not an issue that Everyone. only affects a couple of states. And I think it's important for senators to remember when they vote um, and anyone who would vote to confirm a justice who would take away a right that people have had for all these years. That's not just for folks in their own home state. That's for, for folks all across America. And I think we've seen, you know, we saw the last last year and a half when folks thought, There was no way to um, defeat the efforts to defund Planned Parenthood and the efforts they were making to overturn the Affordable Care Act. But because people never gave up and kept marching and kept calling, we actually won that battle. And Planned Parenthood is still open all across this country as a result.
0: That's serious people power, power to the people on that one. But... On Planned Parenthood, and it's standing, and it's gone through a lot as an organization.
1: Hundred years, yeah, <laughs> so a lot. lot's happened. That's right.
0: <laughs> what are some? Oftentimes, I'm talking to people, and there's a lot of misconceptions yep. surrounding Planned Parenthood. Its work. What are the biggest misconceptions that you see, and how can we overcome them? I mean, I think, it,
1: I mean, one reason there was misconceptions is because there was a whole sort of industry out there that wants to make abortion illegal again, that tries to sort of spread um, misinformation, fake news. news. I mean, I feel like we were one of the original targets. But I think that um, one of the things that I just like to tell people actually what Planned Parenthood does, which is we serve about two and a half million patients every year. And we do provide access to safe and legal abortion. That's really important. But we also serve millions of people with birth control services, with affordable um, breast exams and just basic, basic well women care. And interestingly, I was just in South Carolina where we just opened a new health center because we've been working hard to open health centers in areas where people are really don't have a lot of access to affordable care. I'm really proud that that new health center is now providing um, transgender care or care to the transgender community, which is in a lot of areas that's in this amazing. country. It's hard to find. You know, it's hard to find qualified medical professionals uh, where there's no judgment, no no stigma. And that's really, to me, is that's I mean, Planned Parenthood's motto is care no matter what. And that means no matter who you are, no matter what your immigration status is, you uh, and I think it's really important that we have public health care providers like Planned Parenthood that that are there for people no matter what.
0: That is so important. I know. I mean, I'm 17 years old, just graduated high school. And I know Congrats. so many. That's Thank so exciting. You. Thank you. I mean, it was a little accomplishment, you know. It's
1: a big. It's a big <laughs> one.
0: And. I mean, I just know so many people who have been touched by the services of Planned Parenthood, like friends who just don't know where to go and Planned Parenthood was always there. I mean, I've even had to take someone myself. And so I think that is, I mean, it's just so important that everyone has access to something like that. And then piggybacking on like what you're explaining, the work of Planned Parenthood, I feel like if people understood the breadth of it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as big of an uproar. I mean right. if you have good health care, like you're literally providing the services that people who have great health care, higher income can get out of regu- like at their regular hospital from their primary care doctor. And so I mean I just don't see that same push to, you know, shut down big right. hospitals. Or shut
1: down men's health care. I mean right. <laughs> there's I mean, no, I think there's two things that are interesting about that. Um one, you're you're exactly right. There are folks who no matter what happens, um, we will always have healthcare access because they were of higher income. But one of the interesting things is that Planned Parenthood we're actually a, we specialize in reproductive healthcare. So I've had I've had women come to me and say, you know what, I needed birth control, I didn't like what I was using, and Planned Parenthood was able to tell me every single method what its ups and downs were, and get me the right kind of birth control. And that's something, I don't care how much money you have or how good your insurance is, if you don't have a place that actually specializes in in reproductive health care... What are you you going to do? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that, um, I mean, I think to your point about support, one is we've actually never had more support in this country. We're at the highest popularity right now, and I think because people realize that we're at risk because of this this administration, um, something like 75% of people in this country support yeah. Planned Parenthood, support funding for Planned Parenthood. But one of the things that's really important, and I just I can't go without mentioning it is, you know, we had a big fight under President Obama to get birth control covered, it has never been a required covered benefit, and which is crazy because you millions of people use it, right? And um, anyway, that was a big fight. We we finally were able to get. I remember when the day the president called me and said, "We're going to cover birth control now for wow. everybody at no cost, no matter where you work." Today, we're at the lowest rate of teenage pregnancy in the history of America, and that that just didn't happen by accident. That happened because young people getting better access to information. And better access to birth control when they need it, and that's what Planned Parenthood does.
0: That's amazing. That's so important. Wow. Um, something I hear a lot is "defund Planned Parenthood." That's probably like, one of the biggest catchphrases of a certain demographic of people. It's actually really overused. You probably would think it would be like the code word to get into some secret club with like older white men who are like trying to control some like our bodies, pretty much. Pretty much. I heard there was, when I was doing like research into Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that there was kind of a fallacy within the idea of defunding Planned Parenthood. Do you want to explain?
1: No, I'm glad you raised that, Winter, because it has been kind of a catchphrase. But here's the thing that people need to know. Planned Parenthood, we're not like in the federal budget. It's not like we get this big check from the federal government. Planned Parenthood works just like every other hospital, every other um, community clinic. That means we get reimbursed for preventive care that we provide directly. Um, and that means for birth control, for STI testing and treatment, for well-woman care. We don't get money for abortions, nor do hospitals that provide abortions, because that's been prohibited for no decades. I disagree with that policy, but, but that's the law, and that's the law, and we, and we need to fight to... To overturn that. But um, what they're really talking about when they say they want to defund Planned Parenthood is they simply want to circle Planned Parenthood, Congress does, or the President does, and say, if you're a person on Medicaid, or you're a person on a public program, you can go. You cannot go to Planned Parenthood, even if that's the place you've been going to for decades. Wow. Even if that's the place that's in your neighborhood, even if that's the place where you know the doctor, you know the, you know the nurse, the clinician. So, really, what they're all they're trying to do is say Planned Parenthood is somehow going to be targeted and separate out. And it's really frustrating because I go to. I was just in in Wisconsin, where we have um, a couple of dozen health centers that only provide um, basic preventive services. If, if if folks couldn't go to Planned Parenthood in many of these towns, yeah. there's nowhere to go. There isn't a a reproductive health care provider that's affordable, that's local, and I mean, unfortunately, what it would mean is a lot of folks would go without health care. And it's crazy. It's all because of for political purposes, not because. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be harmful to women, harmful to young people, ha- harmful to families.
0: Yeah, I mean. The work that Planned Parenthood has has been doing for so long has been of benefit to so many people. And even like you were just saying, the fact that abortions aren't even funded by the federal government. And so when people are saying or pushing to defund Planned Parenthood, they're really just trying to take away affordable reproductive health care access yeah, in that means general. They're,
1: yeah, they're trying to take away breast exams. They're trying to take away um, birth control. In fact, my home state of Texas, Planned Parenthood, uh, which provides health care to thousands and thousands of people. We can't prov- we can't even be part of the HIV um, prevention program anymore because of the wow. government. We can't be part of the breast exam program. And look, I you know, we had a lot of small towns in Texas. We got a lot of folks that do not have affordable access to health care. To me, to for any politician, um, including the president, to put the health and well-being of women um, or any person, you know, uh, put their politics ahead of that. That's immoral. That's a hot mess. It's immoral. And look, you know, we know I've been seeing, I'm sure you've been seeing too, all these studies that maternal mortality rates in this in this country are the highest in any developed and for African American women, it's outrageous. They're worse and they we've got to be doing more to fund maternal health care. Not yes. less. And that's unfortunately what happens when you have a bunch of people in government who are putting their own political agenda ahead of the well-being of women.
0: And in affects, like what you're touching on, like with the African-American woman. I mean, I was reading the story about Serena Williams.
1: Wasn't that incredible? I'm so grateful to her for telling that story.
0: Me too, because it shows if it can reach if something like that can reach someone of that um, statue, like it doesn't matter I mean, it, that's right. It affects all of us. It can affect me, it can affect my mom, and it can affect Serena Williams, you know. And I think that was I'm so glad she shared her story about that, because it really opened my eyes too. everyone's. I think I mean, I for maybe there's people listening that don't know.
1: But I mean, she was when she was in labor um, and delivering, she knew she had a problem, a physical problem. And the the medical professionals wouldn't listen to her, At and they just wanted to give her aspirin, say it's all you know. And so we find this is really true for women and for women of color. Our concerns are not taken seriously, and she saved her own life. I she mean, did, you know. She advocated for herself. We shouldn't. Women shouldn't be in the place that they are right now, which is basically we have to protect ourselves and yeah. our sisters and our mothers um, because we have a system that's trying to basically take away our health care.
0: And imagine just being a woman one in the middle of labor, right and not even like knowing something is wrong but not even knowing how to put that in words for the doctor to even understand you know
1: and she was insistent i mean she was insistent she Very. knew something was wrong and but you're right if they if that can happen to serena williams who you know i'm sure everyone you yeah. know everyone knows including her medical team um you can only imagine what's happening to women who don't have advocates for them
0: yeah, there's, there's a, lot a lot of work, work to, to do. do. <laughs> I'm with you there. I think that's right. <laughs> but on the more bright side of things, I you were the daughter of Ann Richards, who is yes. one of the first female elected governors of Texas.
1: Yeah, well, actually, she was... She was the first Democratic woman, certainly the first progressive woman. Yeah. There was a woman way, 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 way back in, I don't know, in the history books, yeah. Ma Ferguson,
0: who really... But she, she wasn't elected in her own right.
1: No, you're right. It's kind of funny because her husband, what? Paul Ferguson, I guess yeah. you could figure that out, um, was had been governor. But then he was um, indicted because he'd been selling pardons took, from the... Yeah. Um, for the penitentiary. And so he went to jail. And so they gave it to Ma Ferguson. So yeah, so I would like to say, yeah, wasn't a big change. Um, But yeah, when mom was elected um, to be governor of Texas, actually, I was just talking about her yesterday, because I was, I was thinking about the difference it made, not just, I mean, one, it was amazing to have a progressive woman governor of Texas. But the other thing was that, she, her big commitment was, look, we're going to open up the government to everybody, right? No longer is it like behind closed doors. And she appointed more women, more LGBTQ folks, more um, people of color to every commission, to boards, to all the things that governors get to do more than every single governor combined. And it completely changed what was happening in Texas. And I go back there now and, you know, the folks that you know, Ron Kirk, who was a secretary of state, you know, went on to become you know O'Neill who was mayor of Dallas. He was uh, served for President Obama. Just there's just p- person after person. And so that's one of the most important things about these elections is it's not just the person who is actually getting elected. It's the impact they can make in, right. you know, lift, you know, lifting up other folks in and the bringing them with them, and bringing them with them. I mean, that's what it's all about.
0: That's so important. I mean, we were talking one of the young people I was interviewing in New York just about being able to occupy certain spaces and even me as myself like sitting here being able to do an interview with you yeah. for Crooked Media but being able to use our platforms and our voices to make sure that others who don't always have a seat at the table are with us and it's a package deal yeah. and I think Gen Z is really good about that from what I've seen I think we're very one of the most imp- empathetic generations to come but also I think that's because we have access to so many people's stories yeah. and it's, so really we're not, it's amazing Yeah. so but growing up again under Ann Richards uh-huh. and being in engaged in politics or around the political scene for a long time do you see how that has affected you in your life's path was that a big influence oh,
1: completely i mean i think you know other other kids who were growing up you know i think you know their families bold and we did politics that was just kind of how it was i mean and it was the middle of my dad was really involved in um representing he was a lawyer he is a lawyer was representing folks who um were conscientious objectors to the Vietnam War, and my mom was really involved in the farm workers' movement and the women's movement. And so it just kind of, I mean, I think what I um, grew up to believe, and I was, really, I was really born under a lucky star having the family I did, was that, you know, you're kind of on this earth to make a difference. And if you have the privilege, which I have, I am a woman of enormous privilege because I could choose what I did for a living, right? Yeah. And to have that privilege and be able to choose to try to make a difference in the world is something that you can't waste. And so, you know, it's interesting. I spent a lot of my early years organizing women who were they were hotel workers. They were janitors. They were um, they worked in the garment factories. And a lot of these women, they didn't have any options. Right. They didn't have any other choice. And yet they were so brave. They're the women that still inspire me because they were willing to organize and try to fight for something better, even though, you know, they were just barely holding on. But right. if they always thought if they could do something better for themselves, it would mean something better for their family and their kids. And so anyway, I feel like that was kind of the message I got growing up. And uh, and also that, which I think is really important, is that activism is a joyful pursuit. You know, yeah. you may lose a lot. And if you're, if, you know, if you're fighting for things that are really hard, you're going to lose. Um, but then sometimes you're gonna win and you're gonna meet amazing people along the way.
0: Yes. Right? I mean that's... so many. I mean, I'm here with you. Like,
1: <laughs> there we are. I mean, it now works we're friends. out. It
0: works out. <laughs> hey, I'm Winter Brienne, and you're listening to my interview with Cecile Richards from Planned Parenthood. We'll have more after this break. Maybe you've considered a sleep number bed before, but thought you couldn't afford one. But can you really afford another restless night's sleep? There's never been a better time to come to a Sleep Number store where all beds are on sale during the biggest sale of the year. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose the comfort and support that's right for you. It adjusts on each side, so it's perfect for couples. You can actually feel how it contours to your neck, shoulders, back, and hips for a more proper spinal alignment. And the new Sleep Number 360 smart beds are effortlessly comfortable. They your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping blissfully throughout the night. Does your bed do that? Come in during the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Plus save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed now through Labor Day. You'll only find Sleep Number at any of the 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Just visit sleepnumber.com to find the store near you. If you were to guess, where would you say your brain stacked up against other people your age? Do you think your memory or attention is above average? Use Lumosity to find out. Lumosity is the world's most popular brain training program. Even though you can't see the results in a mirror or on a bathroom scale, if you want to keep your brain fit, you've got to treat it like a muscle. Sign up for Lumosity and take a free 10-minute fit test to get your baseline scores on three games and see how you stack up against others your age. Then, your training begins. With Lumosity Premium, they will even design a personalized training program from their 60-plus cognitive games and activities to challenge your key abilities like memory, speed, and problem solving. With every game, Lumosity keeps track of your progress and shows how you compare worldwide. Don't you want to know how you stack up? Find out right now. Go to Lumosity.com slash Crooked Convos to sign up for the free fit test, plus a 30% discount off Lumosity Premium, spelled dot com slash Crooked Convos to take your free fit test and get 30% off Lumosity Premium. Lumosity.com slash Crooked Convos. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier classic burgers. Mr. Hamburger. Bravo, rubble. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo.
1: Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any of the offer Comparison in prior classic burgers. ba da ba ba
0: I mean, you were talking about the folks you used to organize and it kind of brought up a conversation I had recently about this idea of um, being engaged as a hobby or as a choice or as a profession versus being engaged for survival. Right. And I think it's been something that, I mean... Navigating between those two spaces has been really interesting to see just how people respond to that and how like not everyone wants to be on the front lines marching every day, but like they have to because their children are being killed, you know. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have the support and allyship of other folks who decide and choose to be of support is so important.
1: Yes, and I think it's something we ought that we have to think about and talk about a lot, because look, even, you know, I wrote this book called Make Trouble, which is just kind of like being an organizer and maybe what we can do in these difficult times. But I recognize, and I've talked about, a lot about on tours, that, you know, being able to make trouble is a, that's a privilege. And a lot of yeah. people um, aren't even trying to make trouble, and they're being shot, you know, for doing nothing more than going to the corner grocery store right. or going to church, and um, there are people who aren't doing, um, just trying to stay out of trouble and are being picked up um, and deported. And so I just think it's important to recognize we do have a, those, I believe, people who can do more have to do more. We have to yeah. do more than we ever thought because there's a lot of other folks um, who um, who need us as allies and and we got to lift their stories up. I think your, yeah. you know, your point earlier. It's so different now. Having social media, it used to be like, you know, everyone just had to like, you know, beat their head <laughs> against the wall to try to get in the news. But now we can lift up stories every single day, and and there's that's, no excuse. That's right, and it's really changed. I think the most important thing, though, Winter is like a lot of people. What I mainly hear from people now is just, I want to do more. Just tell me what else I can do. And yeah. I think there is a feeling of like being overwhelmed yeah. by. This president, by this administration, by the attacks on people, on children—I mean, separating oh children goodness. from their families—there's so many examples. I think it's really important that we continue to find ways to, you know, stand together and to give people um, uh, support and to to help people figure out what what more they can do.
0: Definitely. I mean, I was just on Instagram. Of course, I'm a Gen Zer and. <laughs> I was looking at one of my mentor, um, Brittany Packnett. She posted. Oh, love her. Amazing. She's amazing, yes. Shout out to Brittany. Yeah, yeah I love Brittany. You better listen to this. And Brittany was po- re- just released an article with The Cut about just when you have privilege and it's free to you, you have the obligation to spend it. And I didn't s- read that,
1: but I... I 100%.
0: Everyone should read it. But no, it I'm is, glad you
1: told me because that's, I mean, it's like such an important thing.
0: It's so important. And I think, I mean, I think about the, all that even as a Black woman, I maintain a certain level of privilege just being able to, one, go to a good school, have the choice to go to a school that's well off, having the support of my family. Yeah, my have a great, great mom, you great mom who's here. Yes, my mom is here <laughs> always with that's me. So I mean, I even have my great, great, grandma she wow. just passed. Oh. Wow. And so having access it, to know her
1: that's amazing to those
0: things. Like all of those things are privileges that I have. And I have to use them for the good. And I can't hold it to myself, you know, it's always important to share and also bring others to the table with me. And I'm really that's I, important.
1: I think it's right, but I and I think it's not only because it's um the right thing to do, which I think it is, it's also um uh, it's a lot better than not being involved. I would say this to people like, you know, turn off the television and go outside and do something because just feeling powerless and angry is just, it's not a good solution. And uh, a lot of people have asked, like, okay, what more can I do? I marched, I've, you know, um, written to Congress like, okay, go volunteer on a campaign. You know, somebody's running for office and they need your help. Believe me, there's not a single person that's running that doesn't need somebody to volunteer and, um, make phone calls or you know, knock doors, or go, ver- go work with an immigration group. Go work with a group of people you don't know because you're going to feel better about yourself and you'll feel better about the world when you get to work with people who share your values.
0: Definitely. I mean, the political climate of the world today is... I mean, it's the first I, as a 17-year-old, have seen something yep. like this. I, am of course people have been on the front lines of these issues for a very long time. What as a Gen Zer, what hope do we bring, like you guys? Because I know a lot of dubbed us one of the most politically engaged generations. I yep. mean, it's very I don't wanna say it's cool, but everyone, you know, everyone's marching, everyone feels something. I think we've yep. all of our hearts are broken and we're all frustrated with the system and we all want to make change what is the best way to do that?
1: Well, one thing I'm really, and I know you've been doing a lot of work around gun reform, which is just so important. And so, so many young people have been. I think one of the things that's been important about that movement is that it recognizes that marching is great, you know, writing Congress, tweeting, all that, but voting, that's the whole deal. We have to vote. And Look, we have to make voting um, a powerful tool for people again. Yeah. Because uh, that to me is, that's the only way the folks who are like meeting out these horrible policies, doing these things that are in in office, until some of them lose their jobs, we're not going to have the kind of change we want. I mean, we've got to do it all, but that's right. something that really, it's really important. Very important. And I, th- I do think, but the other point you said is so, so right on, which is, That I just think this generation, um, they really understand that all of these issues are connected. Mm -hmm. So if your issue is racial justice, if your issue is reproductive rights or reproductive justice or it's LGBTQ rights, I mean, you're still going to be at the airport, you know, defending um, immigrants. You're still going to be... Marching um, on on guns, and I think that's what's really important is that we have to recognize. I think the progressive community is getting better at this, but you all are leading the way, which is just saying, you know, um, was it Fannie Fanny Lou Hamer? I think it was I think it was her. She said, you know, no one's free till everybody's free, and yeah. that it, there was never been a more important moment to recognize that.
0: I think I mean that's something myself that I have grown like as a person and like in my activism. To realize, I mean, I, I just remember being 12 years old, um, and that's when, five years ago, and that's literally the five years ago, Black Lives Matter came into the world. So right. they just had their five-year anniversary, and it was led by three powerful women. That's right. And I just remember being 12 years old, and what can I do? do and mm-hmm. how am I going to make change and this is not okay and a lot of my work focused very specifically on police violence against black bodies. And from there I I mean I organized around it and I met the co-chairs of women's March which really opened my eyes to this idea of intersectionality and the fact that my fight for Black lives is way more intersectional than as a little 12-year-old I realized. And myself, again, as a Black woman, I mean, that's where the fight for reproductive rights, like, I have to. As a Black person who's fighting for Black lives, you realize that there are many Black immigrants who are doing amazing things, but are really, I mean, under a lot with... What's going on in the current administ- administration? Like immigration right. rights is also black rights, and so just the idea that as a human, there's so many facets to us, and for us to be fully and wholly liberated means for every aspect of our identity to be liberated, and that takes everybody <laughs> pretty much. So
1: that should be your State of the Union speech mm-hmm. when you become president. <laughs> I think that's exactly that's that's exactly right, and. Look, Winder, I think the thing that gives me hope, too, is the vast majority of the people in this country agree with that. I mean, if if this administration was doing all these things um, against women, against black people, against immigrants, against LGBTQ people, you know, go down the list, and everybody was just staying silent, it'd be one thing. Yeah. But I think what we are seeing is we are in the cusp of, like, the biggest sort of I think progressive revolt and revolution that we've seen in my lifetime, um, and folks are not. Um, I think look, a lot of people are suffering. Let's, it, yeah. regardless of what happens, and even even um, in this coming election, there's a lot of people um, whose lives have been affected in a terrible way. Um, but I, I'm encouraged by the fact that people are um, marching and standing up. There's like. of Americans have actually marched in the last year and a half. Wow. Which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Crazy. And um, that's, so I I feel that that gives me hope as well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel it every day. Just the galvanization of my generation of people all over. And I think part of that and part of the thing that, like, for moving forward that's so important, I think, is to be having conversations like this, intersectional conversations, but also intergenerational conversations. Agreed. Because people are putting, I feel, I mean, I'm a Gen Z, so I'm going to speak for us for a second. Go for it. That there's a lot of pressure on us. There is. To <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fix it. Fix everything, yeah. right? Save us, yeah. <laughs> to, to save the world. And I think part of that push and part of that energy can be very detrimental because you have a lot of young people who we have a lot to give, but we also are still learning. And so if we're not having these conversations with the people who have been on the front lines for years and years and years and We won't know where to start and where to grow from. And I think that's important because what will happen is I feel we are getting a lot of work done, but I feel like we could be starting so much farther ahead Mm -hmm. if, as long as we're having these intergenerational conversations and knowledge is being passed down.
1: Yeah, but I mean, passed up and passed down, I mean, think passed both ways. I really feel like it's and, and look, I think, you know, I've seen more than one woman kind of of my mom's generation holding a sign saying, you know, I can't believe I still have to protest this, you know, fill in the blank. And I think that the good thing is, for them, um, folks who never thought they were going to have to be marching again, they're taking inspiration and courage from young people. But yes, it's not it can't all be on young people. But the other bias I have a little bit is, if we really believe that young people um, have all this promise, then we have to invest in them. And we have to make space for them. Because I don't think that we collectively in the progressive side of the world have done that um, as much as we should. And it means you know, as as I learned at Planned Parent, it's like you know when you invest in young people and you bring them in as leaders and you give them skills and you provide them access, then you got to listen to them too, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that was kind of a shock to some some folks in the organization. Um, but at the end of the day, that's that's the only way we're going to move forward. But I agree with mm-hmm. you. I think it's 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 all of us, yeah, together.
0: I mean. You mentioned um, this idea of like just older generations not thinking they're going to have to protest certain things again with the Supreme Court and what's happening. Yep. Did you, you were 16 when Roe v. Wade came into fruition, if I'm correct. I guess
1: that's right. I mean, I was so like, un, like I was not <laughs> I was not where you were when I was 16. I don't even know what I was thinking about. But no, I just I mean, i I, I run into women now who are marching who said I haven't marched since. You know, whatever the sixties or yeah. something, and or I even meet. I, I was in I was in Florida the other day, and the volunteers and activists were all introducing themselves. and This woman said, "Like I'm in my eighties. I've never volunteered or done anything like this in my life, and now I'm down here every day." You know, so I feel like it's it's been interesting to see, I guess, just folks who didn't think we would ever be re re looking at relitigating issues that folks thought were solved a long time ago.
0: Yeah. I feel like this administration has put us in a position where all people at the same time are being affected or attacked. Mm -hmm. And I think what that ended up doing with like with Women's March, five million women marching across the country, that was the largest protest in history. Right of seeing so many different people from so many different communities marching and supporting one another at the same time. Whereas when I look like through history, most of the time it's the groups affected the most, the most marginalized having to speak on their behalf and to see everyone of like all types of people there fighting for the same cause, like our liberation as a people. I really think that's amazing.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that, um, it's not just about this pr- president. Oh, yeah. Because things weren't so great before him, right? Sure so we aren't. talk about the Black Lives Matter movement that was, is so important. Uh, talk about, I mean, so many things that have been going on yeah. for so long. I hope that our aspirations are a lot bigger than simply yes. changing who's in the white house our aspirations have to be about yes what does it look like to our collective liberation and what is the world that we want to live in and then go build it yeah. because if we're just thinking about election to election um we're not going to get we're not going to get a far as, yeah. we're going to be in a cycle
0: we're going to we're going to exactly we, say we get a decent person in office and i feel i i that's one of my biggest fears is that after midterm elections and then after 2020 If, say, we get what we want, right, what's going to happen? Is there just going to be a dearth of action? Is everyone going to go? And it's not not everyone's going to be able to. But are those who feel sufficient with their privilege and with the new administration, hopefully, will they go back to sleep and go back into being dormant? Because, I mean, that's what they we've that's kind of the state we've been in for a while Right?
1: Now, I think, look, I think that's why a lot of folks are saying, I don't know who coined the phrase originally, but I was just actually with my friend Rashad Robinson, we were talking Color of Change. It was like, how are we taking this moment and making it into a movement? That is essentially what we have to be doing. This is not, this can't be, yes, we just sort of ping pong between elections. We actually have to have to set out what the, what are our big goals and our big values and and how are we going to do that work together? And I think more of that is happening, but more of it still has to happen. Uh, And, and, you know, but the but voting matters because it sends a signal that we actually care about um, political power as well.
0: Voting is so important. I mean, we can let's talk about that for a minute because I'm 17 years old and I know, well, one, a lot of people in Gen Z are going to be of age to vote this year. Right. Which is crazy. Like, I mean, it's not crazy because it's going to happen eventually, but our political power and how much we have a read somewhere that it's probably one of the largest. Like we're a really big generation and we can enact a lot of change if we show up to the polls. And then also there's a group of us like me who aren't going to be of age to vote as well. And I think it's important for people to realize that voting is important, even if you can't vote. I mean, technically, I would say I voted five times in Mm -hmm. quotes, you know, I took my mom to the polls. Then I took my dad to the polls. And then I was like, well, let me go get my great grandma who's 94. And I drove her to the polls and then ended up running into my grandparents and taking them to the polls as well. And so just the fact that me as a 17 year old was educated enough on the ballot. I would say a little more than the people I took to the polls to Mm -hmm. explain like this is who this person is this is how what they're doing is going to affect my life as a child please vote the right way I think that's another important aspect of it making sure that we're educated and as young people we could put a lot of pressure on older people
1: no it's look I think it's um, incredibly important and I don't know what this the current statistic is but in general 4 million young people turn 18 every year yeah. So that's four million folks who we ought we should all be in conversation with. But to your point too, even young people who can't vote this time, I remember you know for my my twins, you know, being able to volunteer on Barack Obama's campaign, being able to like door knock for him, being able to like you know show up with the millions of people and for his inauguration, that totally changed the way they think about I think politics and engagement. And so it's really never too early, and you're never too young. To start getting those political skills and the other thing the great thing is you learn how to do that you learn how to do door knock you can run for congress when you're in your 20s right
0: <laughs> yes i need all my gen- all my friends please run it's it's right speaking of running i know everyone wants me to ask you this okay. are you running for office i don't have any plans oh to
1: run for office i'm I, but i am completely focused right now on Reaching out to women all across the country, along with some of my other friends, um, Ai-jen Poo at the National Domestic Workers um, Alliance, Um, Alicia Garza, incredible leader. I love you, Alicia. She's incredible. And just making sure that Mm -hmm. women um, vote and that we, you know, it's great to march. It's great to do all the other things, but voting is what really is going to matter. and so. Can't focus. Yeah, action. exactly. Exactly. Look, if all the people that marched in the in the women's march voted.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: We'd, we'd change the whole country. The whole world. Overnight. So anyone who's listening who marched, be sure you're voting.
0: Please vote November 6th. Thank yep. you very much. On my behalf. On the behalf of people who can't vote. And it's going to be our world as well who is most affected That's by right. this. Oh, this is such a great conversation. Thank you so much. And... In regards to just Gen Z and our activism and us voting in these midterms, I really hope that our work collectively can really change some things and make the world a better place.
1: It already is. I mean, it already is. I just can't tell you how many folks have. um, I I got to go to the March for Lives in Washington, D.C., and, you know, it was pretty awesome, to be able to just like stand on the sidelines and see young people running one of the most incredible um, public demonstrations that I've ever seen. So um, I think, and I think more and more people are just recognizing that making space, but also supporting the leadership of young people. So thank you for being one of them.
0: Thank you. And I do think uh, again, it's just so important that we are centering the voices of young people and every conversation that we're having, especially if it has to do with something that's going to shape our futures, because, I mean, it's our world that we're going to have to inherit and live in. And we should have a pretty large say in that, I think.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you guys for listening to this crooked conversation, and it is my very first one, so I'm really excited that it was with Mrs. Cecil Richards. So, I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you're, inter- you. you're a great you're
1: a great interviewer, and uh, have a good time when you're here in New York. And maybe I'll see you in LA at the big demonstration I'm going to. Oh yes, to, so, anyway. I'll get the info. Okay, sounds good.
0: Thank you, guys. I'm Winter Brienne. That's all for this week, but I hope you liked my conversation and I'll be hosting more Crooked Conversations soon. So look out for those and you'll be able to find me on Crooked social media talking to young activists and doing all kinds of things soon too.
1: Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM.